Welcome back, fine townsfolk, to another episode of Random Encounters. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. And here we are, you guessed it, to talk a random monster from a random monster manual. This week we have yet another new book for you. This is an official Dungeons and Dragons book, actually. It's been a while. Matt, we've got, I don't know if you heard about this coming out, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Yep. This is... This is amazing resource for for DMs, so I highly recommend everybody get it. Not a lot in terms of monsters, though. However, however, there's something in here that when I read it, I this came out after our discussion of the carnivorous ship. Remember the carnivorous ship? Mm-hmm. I think that was the first episode this year, and. One of the things we talked about on the carnivorous ship was that I had an idea of playing a mimic farmer. Yes. In this book, in the environmental hazards section, starting on page 150, you have things like a supernatural region, a far realm, a haunted region, infested, a mirror zone, a psychic resonance, magical phenomena. Enchanted Springs, and a mimic colony. A mimic... Wizards of the Coast heard me talking about a mimic farmer. And in a matter of weeks, they put it into this book and made it happen. Big Tech is always watching. It's big, 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 big dragon is always watching and listening. (laughs) But there is, there is an actual monster stat block in here. So we'll technically say that this episode is the juvenile mimic, the juvenile mimic. Okay. We do have a stat block, but it's really, it's really about the mimic colony as a whole. Okay. Mimics imitate terrain and dungeon dressing to hunt for food. Rare specimens develop a deeper understanding of the world and can communicate with other creatures. In extremely rare cases, groups of these creatures band together, creating colonies. These bonded mimics cooperate to create larger objects than any lone mimic could approximate. A mimic colony can work together to form buildings, bridges, crystal formations, cliff faces, statues, and nearly anything it desires. Entire villages appearing out of nowhere might be composed of mimics. If you can see all the all the tongues and maws and things. I can. I was I was expecting a, an image of a mimic megazord, but I suppose that'll suffice too. <laughs> Ostensibly, that's what it is. Yeah. Saying that they have to they have to all come together to to create even just a building is that is that seriously just like a mimic in the shape of a door and a mimic in the shape of a window and and there's tiny sets of teeth literally everywhere. That's kind of yeah. what it is, right? Yeah. Imagine scaling a, a rock face and you're dodging teeth along the way. Yeah. What kind of climb check is that? Oh, I guess it would be an acrobatics as opposed to an athletics or both. Sure. I just mean the DC on that. Yeah. Be oh, gosh. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So we have, let's see, mimic communication. They can develop telepathy and the ability to speak all within 10 miles. Of, of one another, any any of the mimics in a colony within 10 miles can communicate. Hive mind-like. Yeah. Yeah, and with, they can communicate with other creatures up to 120 feet. 
A mimic colony's primary goal is survival. If threatened by a force the mimics can't overcome, they are willing to bargain. Oh, and they do speak common and undercommon in that telepathy. The colony's offspring gain the ability to innately communicate. If the colony's survival is threatened and it thinks it has a chance of surviving a fight, it can leverage its combined might using their special lair actions. On initiative count 20, losing all ties, the mimic colony takes a lair action, causing one of the following effects. It can't use the same effect two rounds in a row. The mimic colony chooses up to three creatures within 300 feet of it, each target must succeed on a DC 15 strength saving throw or have its speed reduced to zero until initiative count 20 on the following round, as pieces of the environment grasp the target. If a target fails the save by five or more, it is restrained instead for that duration. Is that not the same? Essentially the same thing? Oh, you know what? I bet restrained has a negative two, like dex checks or something as opposed to just not having speed. Restrained, speed becomes zero, can't benefit okay. from any bonus to its speed. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Oh, the creature's okay. attack rolls have disadvantage. Got it. And the creature has disadvantage on dex saving throws. Yeah, makes sense. So that's, that's another thing I'm seeing a little bit more of in 5e, which I'm assuming is because pathfinder 2e started doing it the the degrees of failure or success on a saving throw yeah yeah the the scaling of mm -hmm. it they definitely it's not as full out as as pathfinder has it but these i did not see these in the start of of 5e okay i think they're they're a more recent addition if the target fails the save by this much so that's Assuming this theory is correct, that's really good to see that they are being inspired by one another, we'll say. We'll, we'll politically say. Adopting different play styles and different ways to, to create. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really interesting way to add on to something that's been around for years and years. Mm -hmm. You know, 5e has been, I mean, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, like a decade now almost. <laughs> yeah, about, about 10, 11 years, I think, yeah. Yeah, to keep it fresh and to add something that, mm -hmm. you know, someone else basically came up with, but it's not enough of a stretch that you're creating something out of whole cloth. Yeah. It's it's really cool. I'm, I'm glad that they are uh, are doing that. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. And when you think about it, it makes sense. If you're doing critical successes and critical fa failures on attack rolls, why wouldn't a saving throw, if... if being such a failure, why wouldn't a saving throw offer a hindrance? You know, exactly. it, and, yeah. and it's it's just it's it's nice to see that. Good good on you, wizards. Yeah. Even if you, you took my mimic farmer idea. It feels like that was probably something on the cutting room floor, maybe when 5e first came out, and they're like, yeah. ah, this would make it a little too complicated at first. So then they just started adding in because I don't think Pathfinder really cares about making things too complicated at times i think that is evident i think they they've they've embraced the three five and run with it and it seems like the nitty-gritty for their second edition has has just embraced that even more yeah and and the people that great. love pathfinder love the nitty-gritty yeah absolutely if i had the time and the wherewithal to to study those rules and and play enough games to make it worth it i i'd be all for it i i love it now yeah absolutely
So a couple more lair actions. The Mimic Colony uses the Help action, aiding a creature of its choice within 300 feet of it. Help action just being giving advantage to a roll. The Mimic Colony chooses up to three creatures within 300 feet of it. Each target must succeed on a DC 15 dexterity saving throw or take 13 acid damage as orifices appear on surfaces in the environment and launch caustic spittle. Cool. Had to go with the orifices there. The Mimic Colony chooses a cube of non-magical inanimate material in physical contact with it. The cube can be up to 15 feet on a side. The colony reshapes that material however it likes. This transformation lasts for one hour. And then when determining the difficulty of an encounter with a hostile mimic colony, consider the colony to be one additional creature of challenge rating two. Okay. Just something that came to me when you were talking about that second to last one. Again, imagine you're scaling a cliff and it's, you know, maybe it was kind of a small rock edifice and mimics came and kind of filled it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you are on the part, you you finally made it to the part that is non-mimic. You've, you've passed all your checks, you've done the acrobatics out the wazoo, and then they pull that and they change a block that is the, the cliff face that you are on oh. into something else. Is that inherently a part of the mimic colony, though? So there could technically be a mouth there? It depends on how you set it up, obviously. But I'm mm-hmm. what the way I was thinking is there is there was a just a, a maybe a large rock there and they came out and filled it out into a, a cliff face mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. rest of them. Yeah. And you finally made it to the, the part that is non-mimic. And then they go ahead and they shapeshift that into something else. Right. So just when you think you're you're good to go and it's smooth sailing and you can, you know, you can just kind of scoot up to the top without having to make these crazy checks, then they do something along those lines. So you're still you're still on the cliff face. You haven't made it to the top. Correct. You're okay. just not in the, the mimic portion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you it has to be another piece of inanimate material, but like jagged glass or or, or obsidian, you know, something. Yep. Something straight up just vile and awful yep exactly so you're gonna you're gonna fall down and that would ensure that maybe the only way you can get to the very top of this cliff face is to go through the mimic portion because Mm. there's just the dc on climbing glass is just impossible yeah yeah you will maybe it's like maybe it's like caltraps but the the consequences are a lot worse yeah you know you you inevitably take damage and you do have to roll i I don't know what would it be a constitution to just like force yourself through this glass i don't think it it wouldn't be a dex i I mean i guess it could be a dex would it be will Uh, just you're kind of willing yourself into right so a, a wisdom saving throw so a wisdom yeah yeah yeah, I, I, it could go either way. Yeah. But that would be a lot of rolls. That would be a roll to see if you you even stay on that portion, a roll to get through, and you keep whittling away at the HP, and at the end of every turn, you have to roll to see if you even stay on it with either a, a will or, a, sorry, a wisdom or a constitution. Yeah. I would give it either way. 
honestly. I think if you're barbarian would obviously be a constitution and your wizard would be wisdom. I, I wouldn't make I wouldn't make it everybody's strength. If it's a bard, like sorry, your charisma is not gonna help you here. Sure. Yeah. It would have to be one of the other two. Pick the best of the two. That's it. Right, yeah. Hopefully int is your dump stat there, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My intelligence tells me get the heck off of this cliff. Yeah, e- even with a negative one to my intelligence, I know this is a bad idea. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Mimic Colony mm-hmm. doesn't really, can't really take that and translate it to a Mimic Farmer, I suppose. I mean, we've got the juvenile Mimic stats here, which are fairly unremarkable. Sure. Not much in there. Has a shapeshift, has a spider climb, has a false appearance. It is a challenge of zero. Armor class 11, seven hit points, etc. Not, not, yeah. Nothing to, to write home about. Pretty much everything expected. It's, it's really the, the unit as a whole. However, it does give you the, the idea of stats if you wanted to have your players experience a Mimic Farmer. Exactly, yeah. And it gives you basically three levels of Mimic now. Yeah. You know, your, your basic Mimic... It gives you this, the juvenile, and then also the the mimic ship. Yeah, that we were talking about weeks ago. Overall, of the books, we've got we've got plenty of mimics to pull from. the The carnivorous ship is that giant one. We've got the juvenile. We've got the your standard mimic and the mimic colony as well. So I I see the mimic farm at this point being environment as you would see a farm, like barn and and fences and stumps yep. in the field and everything. And a mimic cannot be, cannot mimic as living material. So it's not like a mimic can pretend to be a sheep. So it's basically empty fields and empty barns and your, your players come up and with a pretty easy perception check, see like there's, there's nothing in this farm. Like, what is this guy doing here? Yeah. Is it a ghost farm? Is it like just some, who is this and why is he here? And that, that's your first mystery. Yeah. Would the farm, I mean, would it depend on how the, the players interact, whether the mimics are inherently aggressive or not? Or is that something you would build into the, the mimics themselves just from the get-go? Like as soon, they're almost like guard dogs. Like you would go to, to open the gate to walk into the farm and the gate would start snapping at you. No, I don't think you reveal them unless you either start something with the farmer mm-hmm. or you get friendly enough with him or even just straight up ask him like what what kind of farm is this gotcha maybe maybe he's not trying to hide it it's just it's just where he is and what he does so i i would not reveal it until until there is a moment a moment of surprise a moment of reveal again it doesn't have to be just all of a sudden, everybody roll initiative here. Gotcha. But the, it is if he said, they're like, oh, what kind of farm is this? I don't see anything. Oh, it's a mimic farm. And then they they draw their weapons, and then it's roll initiative. That chair you're sitting on bites you in the right in the behind. Yeah, I mean, if they if they pulled their weapons, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I I would not. I would say they're they're loyal to their farmer. Yeah. What is the mimic farmer end game? Is he breeding mimics for sales to like dungeons or presumably evil kings and lords and stuff like that? Yeah, we we talked about this 
on the carnivorous ship, I think when I first brought up the farm, it, it could go, it could go either way. Like maybe he's, maybe it's just someone who really likes mimics and just has a colony. Like we have the not-for-profit barn next door that we bring Rook to all the time. And one of the ladies who comes in volunteers to feed the animals, she just got three donkeys just because. Yeah. She got a fence in her backyard and she got three donkeys and she adores them. Maybe it's the same thing. Gotcha. It's maybe, oh man, maybe he does show mimics. <laughs> maybe maybe there are show mimic competitions. <laughs> okay. I like that. Yep. I like that. The The reason that I, that I phrased that question a second time for a second podcast is what if there are other farms for other creatures within dungeons as well? Oh, sure. Yeah. You're opening up the idea for all sorts of things. Yeah. An industry of farms under a collective of maybe a big bad of some kind who who basically sells these pieces. They're basically set pieces. They're furniture for dungeons. Yeah. Like, oh, your dungeon needs a gelatinous cube. Well, I know, I got a guy. Yeah. Your your factory farming owlbears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I like that idea a lot. What and that could be very overarching. That could be a great big storyline there. Maybe yeah. maybe a full one to twenty. I don't know. If 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 anyone has ever gone to the mythic one to twenty, I I would love to hear a story of that campaign. But I, I feel like there is a lot to do there. I feel like it can be silly and very serious from one turn to the next. And, and I, I love, I love that idea. I genuinely like the idea of, well, they got to get there somehow. I think it would be interesting, maybe not as the, the villain campaign necessarily that we've talked about, but mm. what if instead of fighting these things, you are the procurement officer for a specific dungeon yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you're going out and you're finding them some mimics and some gelatinous cubes and some owl bears and eventually some beholder maybe or something along those lines. Mm. Though it would probably not have, not be a beholder given their volatile nature, but still. The beholder you would rent. You would find them like you would go to a placement agency for a beholder. Oh, you, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They, they they're contracted out. Staffing. Staffing yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> oh my god. To corporatize and capitalize this idea, this 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 world is very funny to me. <laughs> it is definitely a humor campaign, for sure. But it it could be I it doesn't there are moments I can see this being super serious and high stakes and scary at times. Sure. It's just that it's just those ideas. When you think of throwing modern aspects into a into a fantasy campaign, I never think of the economy aspect of it. Yep. You know, the logistic aspect, but there's no reason it can't be. For sure. Yeah, this stuff has to come from somewhere. They don't right. they're not just random monsters that wander into a dungeon and and just sit down in a room. Just colonize it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, oh my gosh. And there's there's staff that takes care of these things and cleans up the dungeon. Yep. When when adventurers aren't in there. Oh man, yeah. this is a whole janitorial really staff of kobolds yeah. falling on, over each other. Yep, wearing wearing overalls. Yeah. They all they all have the name tag Jed because they got they got him on discount. <laughs> so then they just walk through the dungeon and they just look at each other and give the bro nod just Jed. Yeah. Jed. Jed. Yep. Jed. Yeah. <laughs> 
And they're they're so dumb, they just love it. They embrace that everyone is now Jed. Oh, for sure. They love the routine. They love just mm-hmm. the, the fact that they have a purpose. E- even though one of them was like Clorgak Gnome Slayer, he's he's part of the Jed family now. Oh, yeah. He, he embraces sure. it. It's like the, the Robin Williams joke. When we take pandas and put them in zoos, we name them like Ping Ping and Ting Tong and things when really their their panda names are like Shang Li, the, the, the slayer of bamboo. Same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We we Americanize our help. And cutify. Yeah. Cute- yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. I think this would be an excellent idea if you had the the people to do multiple parties say you're one DM and you have multiple oh, parties yeah. and they mm-hmm. each create a dungeon. Ooh. Okay. And then eventually years and years later, obviously your party has to go through this other party's dungeon. Oh my gosh. Yes. It is a RPG version of basically a boss monster, the card game. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some kind of degree of, I don't, I guess not real time strategy, but you've, you need in that, that there, there are different phases of gameplay. There's, collection of resources there is building of the dungeon there's like blueprints you need these type of resources to build this type of room you need yep. this much time to to dig this far into the dungeon that is crazy crazy specific and crazy high detailed but holy cow do i love that idea and the payoff is is astronomical oh my gosh yes end. absolutely you know. even if it's one person even if you're doing one on one You've got two people. Oh, that would be cool. You're doing separate play sessions with, with either person and mm-hmm. they're experiencing it. So it's not necessarily D&D. It's maybe a little bit more like a card game or a a board game of some kind. Sure. Yeah. But there's also that aspect of, well, you, sometimes you do have to go in and fight things or things like that. Yep. I hate how many good ideas we come up with in, the, in this podcast. Because now I want to do them all. I always want to do them all. Yeah, yeah. We, we oh definitely run into that problem where we have an overabundance of, of things to do and zero time to do them. Yeah, I am actually, I'm writing this down. Dungeon creation competition. Yeah, and the whole time you're you're leveling up a character. Right, Presumably yeah. your opponent is leveling up a character. Mm-hmm. So you better be doing your best to create the the best dungeon possible Mm -hmm. or else it's just going to get obliterated from the beginning. Like you have to go out, maybe each player or each party is going after the same beholder to kind of be the big bad for their, their specific dungeon. So you have to, maybe it's a trial by combat. Maybe it's a, some kind of just convincing them to come with you. You're giving them better benefits package, right? Yeah. Beholders need a pretty hefty vision package. That's true. That's true. Usually vision is pretty cheap, though, so not bad. And um, not the, for 10 the, eyes, though. The, the gibbering mouther needs dental, obviously. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and that's that's the thing. How many how many of your resources, gold or, or whatever, specific rooms in the dungeon that you have created already, how many of those do you allocate and offer to the beholder? Exactly. How, yeah. what, maybe he, he counter offers... With to the other party and says, well, this guy's offering me this. What can you give me? Oh, my God. I love this idea so much. It's so good. It's so good. 
Holy crap. Okay, I really need to think about this. Before we end it, what's what about the idea of them maybe like really charming the pants off of the farmer and they get a mimic weapon? So like a mimic sword? Yeah, a mimic is an inanimate object or a, sure. a, 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 a weapon is an inanimate object. Yeah. What about a mimic weapon? How cool is that? So, yeah, I think that's awesome So in terms of logistics, I guess. So it would be, say it's a sword. Mm-hmm. You would have, you know, say 1d8 slashing damage plus mm-hmm. like poison damage from a bite or just like a... Maybe acid. Yeah, yeah. Acid because in the colony they say the, the orifice, maybe it has an orifice in there. But maybe you can spend an action to make it turn into a different type. Oh, okay. So you're fighting skeletons. Piercing damage doesn't do anything. So having it as a, as a spear is, is useless. I'm going to spend an action and turn it into a club and then I can bash the hell out of this thing. That is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you don't adjust your damage output necessarily as much as you adjust your damage type. Right. So you're not, they're not going to be able to, you know, break the system. Yeah. But they they have an advantage because they can do I I like that and I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that uh I know a certain 12-year-old that would love a shape-changing <laughs> weapon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it levels every two levels that you level. Okay. So it's so and then at a certain point it becomes it it gains like the magical property because it's going to be fairly useless after a while if you're not if it's not magical. Sure. Yeah. And because of that, maybe maybe you have certain level points where it can it becomes magical, and then you can make it choose whether it's going to do fire damage or or acid damage or or like maybe maybe it levels up and gains new abilities. Not never game breaking, never like magical acid, fire, cold, etc. But perhaps you know. Maybe the farmer said, okay, once it reaches this level, you got to come back to me and I'll train it. And then you can get this ability and you give them a list. Like, what do you want it to be able to do next? Yeah. Yeah. Go back to the farmer or just go have it enchanted somewhere, you know, have it yeah. go to uh, uh, some kind of like magic school or something like that. And they can enchant the weapon or give you something to implant in the weapon that maybe you can change it like a dial or something that once per day you click on the <laughs> dial yeah, and there you go. I'm thinking about the, my young kid game. You want to simplify it. Yeah. They would love that for sure. In a full on game, in a non role for autism game, mm-hmm. I would make them have to take it to a trainer or something because it's still a, it's still a living thing. It's still a, a live for sure. Yeah. Sentient thing. So, so it, it would have to be trained. Yeah. You would have to leave it there for, you know, like yeah. One D 12 days. Mm-hmm. And come back and uh, and get it. And maybe if there's no time frame at that particular time in your story, you can say, okay, we, we go and, and we wait. Sure, yeah. But maybe not. Maybe time is short, so either you don't go back or you you send it away, you send it with a courier, or you go and immediately leave. Yeah. Make, it, make them have to, to choose, make them have to decide whether it's worth it or not. Exactly, yeah. And that's the thing. You can always go back. Say you have this this really pressing quest that needs to be completed. Mm-hmm. You can always go back after and do right. it. So it, it's not something that is now or never. That mimic farmer will presumably always be there. Yeah. And say he has a loner weapon, you know. Mm-hmm. 
that's fairly equivalent. I would make it maybe just a, a touch weaker. Yeah. But it's 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 or or maybe maybe you guys have one in a bag of holding at that point, you know, who knows. Yeah, I would assume at that point you would have you would have a backup to your to your main weapon. Yeah. But yeah, I like that idea as well. Like here you can use this other club. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 pinto of clubs, the yes. the, the gremlin, yeah. Wow. Okay, I I think I know what it's going to be. Since since we didn't discuss really the juvenile mimic at all, how many juvenile mimics would you give the mimic this episode? The mimic farm, the idea of of the mimic at this point? I'm not Yeah, it's it's more this this was one of the most kind of overall encompassing discussions we've had, but god damn, this has been the best 30 minutes discussion I've had in a long time. <laughs> oh boy. How many juvenile mimics would you give it? I'm going to go with seven juvenile mimics. What? Wow. Okay. I'm giving it seven juvenile mimics because the idea of the dungeon that we came up with, the dungeon competition, mm-hmm. that's a full, that, I would give that a full 10. But the juvenile mimic is such a small part of that, that the creature itself and mimic itself, I guess, because the problem that I see if you have a mimic based campaign is that it can get old because mm. then your players are just looking around every corner for something with teeth. That's valid. That's very valid. But the idea of, of farming these, these creatures, be it mm. mimics or, or owl bears or whatever, I think that's incredible. Okay. But just in general, juvenile mimics, seven of them and take the idea and run with it. And if anybody comes up like if anybody uses this this idea and and really kind of runs with it let us know because we'll never have the time to do it <laughs> and we'd like to know how it works out yeah absolutely see i i would have i guess i would have given this episode a 10 yes because because of everything that we came up with and we weren't really focusing on a specific monster i agree with you there i say okay. it's a 10 i think this is probably our best idea since the jeez maybe since the we've had so many villain episode and we've had several of those that's true those ideas but yeah probably early on when we came up with the the villain episode and then making them have to fight each other at the end i think was yes that, yeah. yeah that was that was our first big foray into kind of a an overarching story yeah yeah I think this one's even better than that, honestly. I agree. I agree. I, I, I am so jammed about this and so mad that I'm so jammed because I, I have so little time. <laughs> yeah. So little people. I mean. So so little people. Yeah, exactly. How, how many people do we have that we can actually do this with over the course of years and then yeah. come to the payoff? That aren't already playing in a game. That too. Yeah. That's that's the thing is, is usually... Uh, particularly now you've got such a small circle that if you want to play D&D, you're probably already playing D&D. Correct. And therefore you would have to sacrifice one of the games. Yeah. Now, would this one, because it is so kind of specific, this particular idea, would this be one that you might be able to kind of use as a almost a text-based game where you're sending out emails to multiple people. Mm. So maybe 
maybe like you said, it's one person at a time instead of a party of people. Yeah. But it's almost a choose your own adventure or you're just sending out looking for replies and you're, you have like an email thread where they're going through and they're building and they're recruiting and whatnot. And then at the end they can come together and, you know, you can play through the dungeons basically. Yeah. But I, I, th- I think you'd still want roles. I think you'd still want things to determine how successful something is, how many resources were, were actually collected or things like that. Sure. And you know? I mean, it would, there would be an honor system obviously where you could yeah. say, okay, send me your, your roles. Let me, you know, either type them out, take a picture, whatever you want to, yeah. however you want to do it. Take a picture with a newspaper with today's date, just in case. <laughs> but yeah, just something along those lines where you say, hey, you know, roll and then I'll let you know how many, how much stone the goblins are able to to remove from the quarry mm-hmm. and, and things along those lines. And maybe how much gold you are able to gather from taxes from the surrounding town. Yeah. Something that, of that nature where it's, again, this is like, you have your main game, mm-hmm. you have your your second game, maybe you have your third game, and this is one you just kind of do on the side yeah, because you don't have time for a f- another full-fledged game with either, you know, basically two games mm-hmm. in one, one system. It's very real-time strategy to me. Yes. And, and I could see it, at this point, I can see it as a board game where... Yeah. It's like Settlers of Catan, where it's resource management, and maybe you try and trade with one another certain resources, and and so it's a little monopoly as well. But it's also like, it's also a rush that maybe you're also trying to build an army or something, so you can, the quicker you do that, the 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 earlier you can get into your opponent's dungeon. True. And therefore, they don't have enough time to complete their stuff. So the sooner you get in, the the weaker their dungeon will be. For sure, the easier it'll be to overtake. Oh my gosh, too many ideas. Yeah, and do you want to go out and get that beholder first so you have that end boss or do you want to build up the dungeon so that you can weather a little bit of the storm before you go out and recruit the beholder and so that you have enough, you know, glittery things so the beholder will come to your dungeon yeah, instead right. of the other. Yeah. I need a week to think about this. Yes. Of no sleep. Of no sleep and lots of manic writing all over the walls. Yes, exactly. And then eventually we'll come back and we will decipher the manic writing and <laughs> it'll be half manifesto, half half board game. <laughs> As most are. Yeah, fair enough. Don't expect to come back to listen to the next random encounters with this idea in mind, however, <laughs> because we will not be discussing it. It will take a long, long time. However, if we do come up with something, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. But do come on back next week for another random monster from a random monster manual. Thank you for listening to our rambles and our ideas. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you do it. Reach out to us at momes at fecklessmomes.com. Let us know what you want to hear for a monster. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Hey, Random Encounters is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.